Hey, this is Kirk Cousins, live at the Senior Bowl with Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and joining us today, a very special guest. His name is Dan Hatman. He is the director of scouting at the Scouting Academy. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, thank you for joining us. What the, what the hell's going on in your world, brother? <laughs> well, it's, it's the... Uh... The bloodletting season, so to speak, with GMs and head coaches and everybody trying to figure out where they're going to be for the 2021 campaign. So the, the phones are blowing up this time of year. Oh, yeah, I know, man. It, it, I mean, you, you get it on the college side, too. You know, uh, one of my uh, one of my jobs is you know, helping to cover the Texas Longhorns. And you see just with this co- you know, new coach coming in and, at, you know. It's like the carousel is not just for the new guys coming in. It's like the guys going out. What are they doing? Like who's going where? What is this? So, so, so the people know, I know that you, your background is in scouting. Can you tell people just a little bit about your background and a little bit about what the scouting Academy is and, and how you became involved? Fair enough. Um, I've been a college coach for two different programs. Uh, got into the New York giants, my first scouting opportunity, spent some time with them, uh, Fortunately, got a Super Bowl ring, uh, taking down the undefeated Patriots. So it was a pretty good season. So, <laughs> yeah. And then we uh, we went over to the New York Jets, uh, spent time with them until the lockout, ended things there, and the owner didn't want to keep extending contracts, so they let me uh, go explore, and I ended up with the Philadelphia Eagles at that point, uh, and spent some time with them. And in every place, I ran into the same I call chicken and egg problem, which was teams want to hire people that know what to do except the only place to learn what to do is with a team. Right. <laughs> didn't make sense to me. Didn't make sense to me trying to get in. Didn't make sense to me when I was doing the hiring um, help or helping hire, I should say in Philadelphia and vetting candidates. Uh, you had people that had desire, they had passionate energy, but the actual technical skills uh, to do things weren't there, but yet they can be taught. I mean, every place we've been, when we watch a receiver, we're going to watch release. We're going to watch hands. We're going to watch yards after. So why couldn't we teach the fundamentals ahead of time and let people have an opportunity to build up their skill set and be better when they actually get to the team? That's kind of how it all came to be is uh, in a 30,000 foot sense of things. You got to be you, so to have done. So what, what Scouting Academy does is it gives you sort of those prereq, you know, those prerequisites that you would need to not walk in there and say, like, I, dude, because you know how people are. And you, like, I feel like it's like this in a lot of industries. Like, you don't want to hire somebody to bring them in and pat their hand all goddamn day and teach them what to do and everything. Like, you would just prefer that they kind of have a baseline understanding of what it is that's going on so they don't actually make your job harder. Yeah. 
that and again, that's the goal. It's both for the candidate and the team. I mean, it makes both their lives easier. If you're better walking in, you will rise faster. You will do better. And then for the team, if you have to spend less time managing and training on these fundamental things, the team's going to teach them their grading scale. The team's going to teach them their value set in terms of what they're looking for. But then once you explain that, if that person's ready to roll and go find it, Seems like a win-win. So at the Scouting Academy, do you guys do it in semesters? Do you do it by, like, classes? Because we were talking before we came on, you have a class, I guess, going right now. Generally, we're heading into Senior Bowl, you know, week coming up pretty soon. We would have had Shrine Bowl week, I guess, the nice. week after this. Um, what what do you, what is, How does it work with your um, – what do you got to do? Like, is it like a regular school? You, you go for two years? Like, well, just maybe tell people about the general, I guess, curriculum or however you yeah, so we, we build things. We got eight position modules and quarterback, wide receiver, D-line, what have you. And we run three 16-week semesters a year. There's not different material in them. It's just for different – people have different times in their lives when they're ready. Um, so spring, summer, and fall are our semesters, and really they're there – so that whenever a person feels like they have a block where they can get into this, we've got a semester that hopefully lines up with that uh, and gives them that opportunity. So those eight positions that we cover, you could technically go through them in 16 weeks. That said, six years in now, 20 semesters we've done, only one person's ever finished all eight in 16 weeks. <laughs> was he a star? I mean, has he gone on to do great things? I'm he sure. was awesome. Um, he actually made these, it was an engineer by trade. He makes a lot more money in that. So he actually oh, okay. on that side, but he came to explore it to the leave of absence. Um, Josh was great, but yeah, everybody else has taken two semesters with us to finish everything. You don't have to, uh, to get a job. You don't have to, to get our endorsement. But it's more of when you go to work for a team, they're going to have you grade every single position. So why not be effective in every position they're going to ask you to grade? NFL teams don't have position specialists. When you're out, whether you're pro or college, huh. you're going to be given every position, including long snappers, kickers, and punters. So Really? Put punters yeah. and kickers and stuff? The whole, everything. Everything all of a sudden ends up on your plate. So trying to be prepared for that um, – you know, again, we recommend people try to tackle that as best they can, at least have some have some information for they start throwing players at you. And I mean, I've got I've got stories of trying to walk into position groups I knew nothing about and looking guys like Tom Coffin in the eye and trying to read a report when you know you don't know what he knows. And, you know, it's again, the whole thing was built to try to help people be prepared ahead of time. Well, yeah. And it, it, man, I, I have a ton of, diff, you know, this this is the stuff that interests me so much that I, I have a ton of different ways I could go with it. But I guess the first thing that popped into my head was you've been, Dan, you've been a scout before. You've been around scouts. You teach scouts. I believe your curriculum there at, this, at the Scouting Academy, it's not just you teaching them, right? It's like coaches to teach them to and different position specialists and stuff like that. I would imagine during COVID, you've had it on Zoom where they can check in on meetings and you know, do chalkboard talk and stuff like that. Everything's, yeah. Everything's built online. We want to give people flexibility. In fact, our stuff kind of works like a gym membership. So think about us open 24 seven and you decide when you come in and work on it. But yeah, we brought in, you know, guys like uh, Jerry Angelo that held GM title, Lewis Riddick, who's been a personnel director. We've had coaches like Wade Phillips and Chris Palmer and Mike Martz and others. And so our goal was to get as many smart people in there and then hear from all of them. So when you hear from, like, I want to go study receivers, we're not giving you one person's opinion on receivers. You're going to hear from nine different people 
all giving you their trick of the trade of, I look for this, I watch that, I like this route, I want to see his foot do this. And then you as a student can take and draw from all of those lessons, figure out in that kind of Venn diagram what things consistently line up. Like every single person said this, so clearly you know, that's going to stick no matter where I go. And then still see the variations. Like this particular philosophy drew me in a particular direction. Um, and then again, gives you the ability that regardless of where you stick in with a team, chances are you've heard from someone with that kind of philosophy explaining what to do. Well, so, but during, during your time around scouts, your time being a scout, your time helping to train these guys, does it generally turn out the guys, even though the team, their teams don't have specialists, do dudes generally just kind of like, Hey man, like if you, like if, if you're looking at the offensive lineman or you're looking at tackles, you want to go run it by so-and-so like he's actually really good at that. Or, or I mean, do, do you find yourself in kind of a, maybe better at evaluating one position than another, maybe because you having played it or having been, or just yeah, like, we could all have that kind of humility. There's no doubt when you do this work, you find the positions that you have better predictive ability on than others. Um, there is a mechanism. So what a team will do when you get into the springtime is they'll switch over to cross check. And so what that means is the person who is the first eyes on everything you go through and you get everybody covered and then you give everybody a position for cross checks. Like when I was with Philly, I had running backs every year. And so then I took every player that was deemed draftable by our entire team of scouts. And then myself and the coach would then get that list. So now my, myself and then do Staley, we get the running back list and we would go through and grade him. Now we wouldn't go meet the kid. We wouldn't go look, talk to sources. You wouldn't do any of that stuff because your area guy or what have you, or, you know, national person already done that. Uh, but we would go through and just see the whole board at that position and give a different perspective on things. Now, how that gets integrated in a final decision making is a whole different conversation. We're going to need about two hours to do that. But um, <laughs> there is a place where teams do start to kind of acknowledge that. Now, I'll say this. If you go through and you start building your cross checklist, you might have four or five guys that are clearly, you know, he's the O-line guy, he's a DB guy, what have you. And then a lot of times, whatever positions are left, you're just stashing names in there regardless of whether or not, you know, because you might have on staff three guys that are good on a line. You, know, you don't have anybody that's particularly good at linebacker, but someone's got a cross-check linebacker. So now they're on linebacker cross-check, even though they may not be the specialist. Yeah. The, the, the Eagles might not have any, the, the Eagles don't spend, seem, seem, seem to spend too much money on, on linebackers. So maybe that's a place where they, uh, where they can hold, hold, hold off on having the specialists. Well, so what about, but, but so, um, when you talk about this cross-checking and all this, and you get in the meeting with the Deuce Staley, like it, what, what, what's it like for a scout and how does the process work that you've been and I guess this year it's – I want to ask you about how this year has been different with getting on the road. How, like, can you get to practices? But, like, let's just say you've been working all year. You've got your list of guys. You're a scout. You – you know, whereas Deuce Staley has been focusing on winning the actual games, right, getting ready for games. What Like, does it turn out you get in a room with this guy and he's like, what? He's like, no, 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 this, this is the best one. It's like, what is this that you're giving – like – like do, do, do coaches ever turn it on its head at, at, at a certain point? Absolutely. There's ebbs and flows. Again, depends on kind of the, the tenure, the let's use the term power of that coach in a process. Mm -hmm. um, so like when I was in Philly, Jim Washburn was the final oh, yeah. D line, you know, that, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, when Jim came in. So, you know, we would be at a certain place, but he fell in love with Vinnie Curry. 
And so Vinnie Curry's moving on up the D line rankings um, and things of that nature. And it, and it was because over time he had shown the ability to predict the players that would play well in his system. And so he had kind of earned that. And so younger coaches typically don't kind of have that sway. The personnel department can push that, but the more tenured a coach can become and certainly the more stable they become in an organization, you know, I'd imagine like with new England, Dante Skarnecchia said something that was it. You know, that was, that was our line rankings regardless of what everybody else said. Right. 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 Do you, do you, so I guess for just from from an outsider's perspective or somebody in the in the media that covers the draft and stuff, I just wonder when you hear about, you know, people talk to scouts during the during the during the season and then especially during the draft season. Some scouts don't want to talk, but there are plenty of scouts that are interested in having conversations with people who are educated about what's going on and hearing, hearing their thoughts. And it just feels like there's a lot of unnamed sourcing that goes around a lot of media people talking about this stuff. And you hear about players like moving up draft boards and all this, do they, I mean, like at what point, at at what point in the draft process do you feel like a team's draft board is pretty well, is pretty well, Set. I, I would imagine it's not till the coaches and stuff have given their input, right? But is there a certain point where it's like if you hear about a guy just buzzing up draft boards, it's probably it's probably not true. It might like I, I just to me it feels like at a certain point your your draft board's set. Like there's no real how much more information is there to possibly gain? So I, I look at it this way: there's basically two concurrent processes. One is you're figuring out who do we think are the best players. And then there's a separate process of where are those players going to go, right? Because the draft is a marketplace. It's a stock market. Sure. And being able to pinpoint like, yeah, he's this on our board, but we might not have to take him at six. He might be there at 17 starts to create the ability for that trade down, right? We're always talking about collect, you know, collect assets, collect resources, trade down, trade down. Well, that can only be done if you understand, like, if I get out of this spot, what's the rest of the pool going to look like? You know, is it flat? Is it, you know, we're already in a plateau, so it doesn't matter. If I go to six to 17, I feel like we're getting basically the same player. Great. Then I collect assets or, or all of a sudden we're hitting a cliff and it's going to drop off. So in December, when you go through, it's a lot more character background, what kind of medical concerns you're, you're really setting up the, that kind of background information, your December meetings, the February meetings, is when it really starts to lock, right? That's when you're reading players, you're watching it, you're putting that together. And that's even before you're doing combine and pro days. From there is where the stock market takes off. You know, as you start to meet the people, you talk to the other people, the players, you, you talk to them, you interview them, the coaches are heavily involved, the private workouts, the private dinners, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You move into those 30 visits towards the end in a typical year. Uh, all that stuff really starts to shape, again, uh, the affection that you might have. And, and I use this line from Lewis Riddick, what would you give up to get them, right? Because that's ultimately the question, right? When you're going to go, I'm going to sure. grow this player or whatever. I love that that thought process. Literally, you're asking yourself, what would I give up to get them? I would give up X to get this player. That does change. That market value does move, even if who the player is may not no that's that's awesome that's a that's a that's a great way to look at it because you're not only you're not only 
continuing to evaluate the player with new information coming in, you are also evaluating the actual landscape and the way he's valued by others. And, and, and what that does in turn is it actually shifts the market. Yeah. So that, that's a, that, that's a, that, that's a very interesting takeaway. Um, well, so whenever you get in, so as this is happening, we, we have the combine, we have the pro days. Do you, how do you, is it just different from scout to scout about how you weigh or from team to team about how you weigh the combine measurables, the explosive measurables, or maybe the agility measurables, any of it versus like what you've seen on what you've seen on tape. Um, the, the, the guy I always go back to was Chris Godwin, his year. I did never thought, I thought he was awesome in every aspect, but I didn't think he was going to test terribly explosively just based on, based on the way that he played on tape and then he gets in there and he he jumps out of the gym and he's fast as hell. It's like, whoa. So it's like uh, to me, it's like, well, now he's got those sorts of requisite skills. Um, plus, on, on, on top of what I loved about film, to me, I thought that was sort of a maybe it's a, a telling way that that this stuff can be used. But I, like, how do you how do you guys how do you guys use it? Is it, is it some, is there, I wish it was more objective. I wish it was more standardized. I think you're trying to allow new and supposedly better information to help inform you more accurately. Ultimately, I think it boils down to this. If you go into those events, combines or pro days, and you like the player. So Chris Gotten, right? If you yeah. like them going into that and they do well, you're pumped, right? You're juiced because now you got a verification of I liked him even when I didn't think it was good. Now it is good. I right. might like him. I might even go higher. If you like a guy going into it and he doesn't do well. Now I'm not saying Orlando Brown combine, but like, you know, if a guy has just a slightly lower than what you thought combine, you're still talking yourself into, well, the film, the film, the film. Mm-hmm. If you go into those events and you didn't like the guy, and he tests out through the gym, you're going, well, this is just, you know, this is just the latest Vernon Golston. What do I care? Uh-huh. Right. Or if you go into it and you didn't like him and he tests poorly, it's he told you he sucks. <laughs> so it's just yeah. a confirmation bias thing, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I think if we're going to use those events, you have to use them to plug holes, meaning you get done with film. You're not there. What I mean is film can only answer some questions. Like there are just going to be things when you get done where you're like, I don't know. I have a hypothesis. I have a theory, but I just don't know. So if I'm watching a guy and I'm thinking about uh, the receiver from Oklahoma State, Washington, right, a couple years back. Yeah. And he was just it was down the field. I mean, I mean, you just didn't know. He didn't run a lot of routes required sharp change of direction. So I want to see him do the testing. I also want to see him do the drills just to run things. I hadn't seen him run. So now I can fill in a hole with that event. But if I go watch a guy and he does something, he does it for the last three years on film, and then he goes out one day in shorts and it looks different, I'm having a hard time right. throwing out three years of information over one days of, a, of an event. Understood. And, and also you can probably get yourself turned a little bit sideways too with like with the James Washington thing. You could have had a similar – Maybe look to plug similar holes with a guy like DK Metcalf, and then you saw what he did with his three cone. You're like, well, Jesus, he's never going to be able to break down and you know, get get in and out of these things. And turns out, like he's kind of been able to. It's just, um, it's, it's just, it's tough, man. Like you said, it's um, 
you got to figure out a way to balance it. You got to figure out a way to balance it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. What do you do about these small? So speaking of small samples, you guys aren't going to be at the senior bowl this year. Um, and it's not because it's not because, you know, we won't be able to view it, but it's because so much of what the scouting Academy does. And I've seen your guys too. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but do you actually force these dudes to have to walk up in the stands to like, scouts or GMs and it's introduce not, themselves and force thing. But it, I mean, you're talking about in mobile, the premier networking opportunity. It right. just is. Um, they're all there. Now someone will tell me, well, they're there in Indy. They are, but access in Indy is different. Yep. And pinning them down in Indy is different because the schedule, the day to day is different. Now I will say you could find them maybe walking down the hall and pester them a little bit there in the convention center, but center, yeah. you try to grab them, but they're usually like, trying to call their wife or kids for mm-hmm. five minutes or just clear their head. Um, Mobile's different. Now I will say is they add more interviews and opportunity to do formals there. The calendar does look more like the combine, uh, but it's still better. Like you can go to practice, you can go up. So no, we don't force them. In fact, we teach them how to try to be careful about the approach because these guys are doing a job that day in the stands, like going up and interrupting them. is not a good thing. So typically just watch the scout. If the scout is steadfast, watching, taking notes, whatever, don't bug that guy. If he's there chopping it up with his friends, maybe you got a chance, you know, the demeanor of the person will give you some signal um, as to that. But yeah, we bring uh, only a small group, 25 uh, it's invitation only. We actually use the the Senior Bowl conference room uh, for our classroom that week, and it's just our top performers, and it's basically our way to put a stamp on them and say, hey, NFL, these are people that have done a really good job. Maybe you should take a second and talk to them. Um, it's been a really good event for our guys in terms of getting jobs. So, so that's obviously a key, and that's why this year it's going gonna, it's gonna to be out the, out the door because – you can't walk up to these people at practice. You can't come shake their hand. Not this year. It'll be fine next year. Yeah. But um, this year, it looks like what Nagy has said in the emails that he sent is that we got to stay six feet away at practice. We got to do all this stuff. So it's just that's not doable. But the other the other thing that I'm sure you're doing is you're telling them how to evaluate in an All Star Game setting because the senior. I I personally. I love the senior bowl. It sure, it sure has gotten me onto players during, 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 during my career. Um, and I just, I don't think that every GM and every coach and every, every staff that's not playing in the, in one of these championship games wouldn't be there if it wasn't super important. So it's also a really small sample. So what, and it's all, there's also just so much going on. Yeah. So uh, you said it well in terms of having to teach guys. We we bring an instructor in. His name is John Peterson. John was a 25-year college coach and then a 26-year NFL scout. Or I think I have those right. Um, and so JP literally just sits in the stands with our guys if they're not networking and answers questions. Hey, what is this practice period? What is it designed to do? What can you glean from it? You know, what can you be watching here? And sometimes JP will be like, hey, watch this coach listen to the way the coach gives feedback and then watch how the player responds. So if the coach says, Hey, I need you to do this in this drill, keep your knees high or put this foot down first or react to this key. And you watch that player the next three, four reps, and they're still not getting it. Does that mean the player can't learn? Absolutely not. It's a human being. It doesn't mean they can't learn, but it means that you're now going to have to make sure you understand how that player learns. Cause it's not going to be 
you know, flick of a switch and all of a sudden they get it. So you, you study all sorts of detailed things and those periods, again, all of them give you different information. Um, and you really have to learn how to focus your eyes. You know, again, we tell them go out there with a position group in mind and just stay with it even for the week. Um, don't let yourself trying to get into understanding all 120 players are going to be in mobile. It, it, it would be impossible. And, you know, like whenever we go there, we're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a gaming and fantasy sports company and stuff. So, I mean, we're there to watch the wideouts and we're, we're there to see them versus the best corners sure. and stuff like that. But I will say it's like if there is if there is an Eric Fisher there or there is an Aaron Donald there or there is a Javon Kinlaw there, like those guys are going to make themselves known during the team periods. Like it didn't it didn't like you're going to miss out on those guys by just when by just only focusing on on, sure. you know, one position group. But I definitely agree. It's it's it feels like on the years where I've just tried to get the binoculars and just watch everything. I like I feel like I leave knowing less. It's so um it's good to hear that that's sort of the, what the scouts do too. It's like focus on one thing and, and don't try, you'll get overwhelmed. Oh yeah. I mean, we talked about the cross checker role before that's actually when you go down there, you're not, you're going down there to kind of confirm what you saw your players in your area, but really you're focusing your cross checklist. Well, so let's talk about that. The players in your area, what, what if the scouts that you've talked to and you're clearly not on the road or any, anymore this year, but what, you talk to a million of these guys, they're your ex students. They're your former colleagues. What did they do this year? Were they even allowed at practices? Um, because it yeah. felt like all the practices were closed. So how, how did that affect scouting this, this Huge. year? Huge. The, the information gap in this year is going to be substantial. Um, this draft is going to really highlight staffs that built in uh, that build evaluation teams and not just information gathering teams. So when you are able to go on campus and you're wearing a logo on your polo and they open the doors for you and they take care of you and all this stuff, mm-hmm. um, you, you can get a lot of information. Sure. Can you get all of it? No, but almost anybody can go in and get the basic information that the schools will give you. And a problem is, is that if every one of the 32 teams is getting that same information, you have no edge over your peers, right? You learn just the same things as the other guys. So when you go into a campus, you're trying to pull pull your source into a separate room and ask them some questions and watch this and get this demeanor and watch this body language and all that. You can work on all those kind of things as you go back to a school three, four, five times a year, year after year after year. This year on Zoom, you're on a call. There's 40, 50 people. It's taped. The person from the school is not giving you anything of substance. I mean, they're basically like in a deposition in a courtroom. Yeah, right. So they're giving you the most vanilla information they can. You can't private – like you can't ask your good questions because if you fire your good question on a Zoom with everybody there and then you get that good answer out – They all get it. They all get it. you had to go and pull your source aside and get a phone call differently. Well, they're – their lives were hectic on the college side. I mean, they're trying to do their own COVID protocols and get their own games played and everything else. So th- this year is really going to highlight those that could work with less and extract more versus those that because they were an NFL staff member, they were given a certain block of information that was better than others. And they were able to manage that. Like you had to go dig in a different and unique way this year and it's really going to show the creativity. I mean, there were staffs that were planned, had, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C down the line for what this season might look like with contingencies. They were talking about that stuff in May and June because they saw 
the yeah. horizon. I was talking to scouts in August that still just thought they were going to go to every campus like they always did, drive in, doors were going to open. And I was like, how do, how can you possibly anticipate that in this climate? And they're like, we're the NFL. I'm like, I don't think you're understanding that school doesn't care anymore. Like they're, they're in survival mode. They don't care what you need. And there were some people that were really far behind. The first couple of months were just them trying to catch up. So again, the people that were ahead versus the laggards in this space, I do think that information gap is going to continue and you're going to see teams really crush this draft and you're going to see teams really fall behind. You know what else we're going to see? I, I just thought about it as, as, as you were talking, mock drafts are going to be awful this year too. Sure. Because because scout because media like people like me aren't going to be able to talk, get good information from scouts about what other teams are thinking. Like nobody's going to be talking to each other about this stuff. It, it's going to be the worst year of mod drafts you know, we've ever seen. You guys are still calling each other, but it's different when you're there and you're you know that information's flowing. Um, I think it's going to be hard because the divide now that the executive tiers they come in. Like if you have really unique information coming in. When the coaches in the executive tier get to the spring, they're starting with a really strong base. If those people weren't able to get that information, that tier now has to come in and fill all those holes. And so, create again, that information divide is going to take teams and make the, the mid to lower level scouts even further away from the decision-making process. Right. So the people – they're typically the ones that talk, all right? <laughs> Which, sure, yes, yes. It's usually, usually not the directors giving away their draft strategy. <laughs> it's usually others. So if they're further away from the, the process this year, yeah, they might talk, but they're further away from the answer. So they're probably not giving much signal in terms of what's going to happen. Just, 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 just a couple quick other things, Dan. I, you've been very, you've been very gracious with your time here, and I know people are gonna, people are gonna love hearing, 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 hearing your insight. But I just one thing that I'm just curious about, and then just a couple of, uh, just a couple of different things about um, scouting methodology. But the, but the one thing that's just a, I've always wondered. Whenever you guys go into the middle uh, of the pro day after the pro day is over for all the testing. Is that are you guys just going over and sharing your numbers with one another or checking them against one another? And then is there a consensus that's sort of reached? Because that was always my guess, you know, how everybody's how all the scouts come in the middle after right after the after the timing stuff. But before the on field stuff, what is it that you guys just uh, discuss there in there in that scrum? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about a bigger school, when you have a number of, uh, of scouts there. Um, there's going to the, usually the most, most tenured person in the area. Like, so like Tim Mingy was going to run things and, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. Tim there and he's given every scout their assignment. You're going to do the 10, you're going to do the 20, you got the 40, you're got this. And he differentiated all that. So then at the end you could aggregate that. And in fact, because not every team can or wants to go to every pro day, every pro day is covered by a team, but all of that gets shared. So it's all shared. So that's okay. Yeah, core information on what got measured, you know, heights, wingspans, are you know, hand sizes, shuttle times, all that stuff gets disseminated because every team wants to know that, that backstops there and they're covered from that standpoint. So all mm-hmm. of that can get shared. So yes, when those guys are getting together, they're putting together kind of the, the final numbers. Okay. So my so my curiosity has been satisfied in my in my <laughs> thesis. My thesis was, was pretty much correct. Right um, all right. So uh, just a couple of quick, uh, just a, a couple of quick methodology things. Um, whenever you hear scouts talk or you hear evaluators talk, you, 
there are certain things that are quantifiable that they talk about and certain things that feel like they aren't quantifiable as far as traits and aspects. So one that seems like it is quantifiable is quarterback accuracy, right? We can look at an accuracy percentage. Um, we can adjust it for certain, for throwaways or for, you know, or for, um, uh, for, um, you know, uh, any sort of, you know, any sort of, uh, other, other thing that could it could be, it could be adjusted to where it's like it can give you a clean picture of somebody's actual accuracy, but can accu- can accuracy with quarterbacks in your opinion as you're evaluating these guys can that be taught or if you're an if you're a kind of if you're one of these fifty five percent accuracy quarterbacks in college I mean are you just doomed to always be a relatively inaccurate quarterback at the NFL level like can can accuracy be taught so I. I lean on the coaches I know for this kind of stuff, right? Because they're the one doing the development. So right. grabbing NFL coaches and talking to them um, about this question, and, and it's one that's been on my mind for years. And I, the, I think the best um, answer I've received in terms of its simplicity, I, I always think that people that can give really clean, simple answers have great insight um, on these things. So Ken Zampezi, uh, son of Ernie, Ken, phenomenal quarterback coach. Yeah, And Ken said it like this. The kid that's accurate is the kid that hit the street sign with a snowball at 10 years old. You know, he just – he always threw it accurate. And you can tighten, but you can't change. So if the kid couldn't hit the street sign with a snowball more than five out of ten times, you're not going to fix that. You might tighten him and get him to six, but you're not going to drastically change him and get him to 90 in most cases unless there's – something so drastic in his mechanics that can be brought along. And then at a time that that was more plausible was a time of the less development. These kids, especially those that are playing quarterback, they all have like six private tutors and they're camps, going to camps since they were uh, 10 years old. Yeah. Someone modifying every bit of their hips, their feet, their arm slot, everything for 10, 15 years. They're in seven on seven. They're throwing all the time. They're in conferences that pass the days of where a guy only had 15 attempts with crappy mechanics and you could bring them along is they all throw more than that. And so I'm having a hard time seeing the logic of they're constantly trained. They're constantly developed. They're constantly throwing and they're still inaccurate, but somehow we're going to magically fix that. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm buying that. Well, all right. So just, so just two, two more that are in a similar, in a similar vein. What about running back vision? Is that kind of also like the kid that can hit the, Kid can hit the stop sign with the snowball. It's just like he kind of you, you can just look at it and you can just sort of see that this guy sees the field better. Like what if, whenever we whenever we talk about running backs vision, is that something that can be worked on or can be improved upon? I, I use this line. You have to study how the plant grows before the flower blooms. So the one bit of information we would need to know that won't come from film is how he was taught to read. So one of the things that you would do, so let's say you flag. I'm not sure on his vision. I'm concerned. Are we talking about holes in an eval after film? Mm-hmm. When you go to a combine, a pro day, when you go talk to the position coach, what have you, you're asking that coach, hey, coach, how did you want him to read this? Like, you know, he never took it to this spot. He never made a cutback. You know, he always bounced things outside. Right. And ask the coach, what did you want him to do? And if coach is like, oh, no, that was okay. You know, we always felt like we could get to the corner. He had the speed. Then – you, you get that install on how he was taught. If you talk to coach, That's like, good. Yeah. you took it outside every time and coach like, I spent three years trying to fix that and he wouldn't. Well, then you know, like they worked on that. It didn't click. So 
I always want to get that answer to how is he taught to read things? If he was taught to read by like, you know, Tony Alford or something like that, you know, Charles Huff or, you know, these guys that are great teachers in like, just like, just like inside zone to a three technique or something like, yeah. you, know, you're gonna, like right. you, know, you know, that the teaching methodology was there and he didn't get it. Right. Then you're going to talk to the kid a little bit, but I'm having a low confidence interval and like, you're going to get that done. If you go to, it, it was like the wild West. They just let him be an athlete which is a lot of times like the high school to college development phase. Mm-hmm. Like they just let the kid be an athlete and then you have to teach him the reads. Um, if you uncover that he just really hasn't been brought along on that, then by all means, you know, get into that and work on that and, and feel more confident in his development once you learn how he learns. But I want to know what he's been taught before I kind of lock in that eval. I love that. And that's, and that's why it's so cool to be a scout because you have access to that information. You can find it out for you. There's, there's no <laughs> different types of information um, yeah. that yeah. is public. Right. All right. Uh, so I, I have one more question for you, Dan, but before that, um, can you just remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter? If, they, if they're interested in hearing more about the scout, scouting Academy, how they can find out more about it, what it is that you guys have going on right right now. Sure. So I'm on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman, and you can also find us at the scout Academy uh, on Twitter. We like to do little film breakdowns and, and give away some insight from that perspective. If anybody just wants to talk to me and has questions, I'm at director at scoutingacademy.com. Just shoot me an email. Um, happy to answer questions from that standpoint. We, we start up our next online semester this coming Monday, the 11th. Uh, so if anybody's interested in that, we will start off here in a few days. Uh, they can dive in from that perspective. Uh, if they have any other questions, they can go to scoutingacademy.com. And uh, we just launched a new site. Hopefully it has a lot more answers on it. If not, let us know. We'll keep working at it. Uh, but, yeah, oh, I'm very accessible. Awesome. All right. So last 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 question here from me. And again, thank you for taking the time to, and, and providing us with this insight. But I was just I was just wondering if you were going to give advice to somebody who is watching wide receivers closely in practices and games, whatever, what is what is something that scouts look for that you think that maybe the average Joe out there might not be looking for? What is it that's important to Dan Hatman whenever you're evaluating wide receivers? So I think we've done a really good job in the public space of raising the level of discourse. I think there's a, a lot of intelligent football talk coming in a, in a public forum. Um, so if I was to say things like, you know, footwork or hip flexion or types of routes or whatever, most people are going to say, yeah, I'm looking at that kind of stuff that said, Hey, are you looking at, you know, does he know how to identify leverage? Can he get into blind spots? Can he manipulate somebody? I'm sure people are looking at that kind of stuff. You know, where does he use his hands and how I'm sure people are looking at that stuff. I think what is hard is that we look at all those things, almost like they're binary, like either they have it or they don't. Or we look at them like they're ingredient that alone will win. And occasionally you'll come across a guy like one of those things will just dominate by itself. I use a grocery analogy. Like if we go to the, the store, we go to the butcher, we buy the best steak, right? I don't have to do a lot to it. No, that, you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> you know, get that thing heated properly, season a little bit, we're done here. Mm-hmm. If I go in and I get whatever the bottom cut is that's on sale that week, I got some work to do, right? I got to stack some things. I got to marinate it. I got to treat it well. I got to cut it well. I got to. Some receivers only win when they stack A plus B plus C plus D. And I don't think enough people, when they go through evals, are looking at it from the lens of how does this guy solve the problem? 
where we look at these individual pieces, we look at A, B, C, and D, and we ask, is it there or not, in almost a binary fashion. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. We log that he has A or C or D. We don't really connect the fact that, okay, well, once he gets into the blind spot, that's what really allows him to break because maybe he doesn't have the athletic ability to sink and explode. But if you can manipulate him early and understand the coverage, if you can get him off the line of scrimmage and give him cushion to release, like how do these things link? And if we did a better job of understanding all of what goes into that outcome, we'd have a much better profile on the other side.